Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. While nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. The Why Watch That TV Talk. Dun, 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 It is June, and it's a time for marriages and married weddings and married life and honeymoons and such. Well, we at Why Watch That, we're not going to treat this any different. It is the summertime. You should be frolicking in the fields of some wedding reception somewhere. And so, well, I don't know if you should do that. Please don't frolic <laughs> in someone's wedding reception. Awkward. But we thought, in celebration of June, marry together the movie and TV talk. Ooh, ooh, ooh. This is like part three of TV talk for the week. (laughs) It is, because there was a lot going on, so we had to whip it together. But because we had a lot going on, we thought we would do a quickie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of those quick marriages. And uh, so we're going to talk- One of these movies, Ref, is about marriages, is about just what you're talking about. Plus one, you're talking about? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) How fitting. How fitting. So let's first get the TV out of the way. Mm. We have some season and series finales. Like, things are going away. (laughs) Um, And things will return to us. First, let's deal with uh, Good Girls. Mm. Mm. That's on Netflix. It's, or, sorry, it's not on Netflix. It's on NBC, but you can watch the first season on Netflix. Yeah. It's already been renewed for season three. But we're talking about season two. This is, uh, I think, Christina Hendricks' uh, show. We talked about a little bit about when you when it finally aired its first or second uh, season, the first episode. Now you've watched all 13. Where are we at the good girls? Are they still robbing people? Are they good girls? Oh. Well, let's put it this way. Here's a, here's what uh, at least one of these ladies confronted during the season of Good Girls. Uh-oh. Taking over your husband's business, then partnering with your drug dealer boss in said venture. Okay, oh. Having an affair with that drug dealer boss. Uh-oh. Sticking up a check cashing place and abducting one of its employees. Hmm. Sleeping with a married man, but it's complicated. That is not a good girl. <laughs> Sleeping with your legitimate boss who winds up having a big old secret, but will that matter? Oh. Contending with an FBI agent who's on to you and having a snitch to him about one of your fellow good girls because of the pressure. Uh-oh. Having your husband get locked up by said FBI agent. Mm. Quitting your newfound life of crime, which you embrace by necessity, only to find out that you just might like it a little too much for that to last, regardless of the risks. Uh Uh-oh. And in the end, having to choose between the somewhat straight and narrow and the most crooked of the crooked paths, 
which of course leads to a twist on top of a twist. Mm. And with that, the second season of Good Girls comes to a close. And it proved that there's nothing wrong with not worrying about how good you supposedly are as long as you entertain. (laughs) And because of that, I actually look forward to its next season. And I thank them for always coming up with something new and divertingly outlandish for us to chew on instead of milking a tired storyline over and over again. Mm. Mm. Okay, good girl. Do you want to be with a good girl? (laughs) Moving on to a not so good girl. (laughs) Killing Eve just concluded its second season on AMC slash BBC America. It's already renewed for season three right after the premiere of season two. Now we know this is um, not a, this, this this show has, the critics are going on and on about it. Sandra O oh has received numerous accolades and awards. Did season two live up to all of that? Hmm. Well, in this season, secret MI6 agent Eve and psychopathic assassin Villanelle teamed up to stop another killer. This sounds yeah. like the female Luther. Exactly. Except it's more fun. Uh-oh. Now, that's not a knock on Luther, though. Luther is not about fun. <laughs> until maybe this season, anyway. Uh-oh. But Villanelle was forbidden to kill anyone during that collaboration. <laughs> so what do you think ended up happening? Oh, you know. But as a result of that, both Villanelle and Eve found themselves in mortal danger. And the resulting question was this, will being in trouble together finally give Villanelle and Eve the chance to turn their strange fascination with each other into a partnership? Well, in the end, we found out that the answer to that question was not so fast. Mm. Not so fast because somebody might not make it. Uh (laughs) And on that note, Killing Eve once again had a very good season that did a pretty consistent job of bringing humor, twists, and style to its cat and mouse pursuits between a hunter and her prey, which are roles that actually aren't fixed in this show, thankfully. The hunter in one moment can become the hunted in another. And I think that when everyone's having fun with Killing Eve's crazy premise, it's a divertingly unique show. However, when it turns ever so slightly serious, which is rare, it does lose a bit of steam. Because Killing Eve isn't about depth. It's about providing highbrow, ridiculous, and intelligently quirky entertainment that you don't have to carry with you after it's over. Oh, I like that. Now, we both got a chance to see this miniseries on FX. Fossey Burden! Mm. Oh! Now, if you don't know anything about us, <laughs> you know that, well, we'll tell you. Both of us were uh, a- actors on stage. We sang, danced, did all the above, trained, professional. Uh. <laughs> we know about Fosse, about Fosse and Gwendolyn Verdon. Now you put those two together and you've got a sweet mix. Question is, did FX capture such sweetness? And uh, is it something that uh, we need to recommend everybody? Hmm. Whatever Lola wants. Ba-ba-ra. Now, I'm just going to get straight to it because we talked about this. Yeah. Fosse Verdon may not have had the pop that it needed to match the real Fosse and Verdon, but 
It did find depth starting in its third episode when it explored Gwen's backstory. Then it did the same for Fosse, which turned this show into a drama with some pretty successful and moving moments despite its lack of sizzle. And the reason why is it had some great performances. Oh yeah. Which were anchored by Williams and Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Look, if that's a law firm, I'm going there. <laughs> and they more, more than earned their checks. And they rose to the occasion whenever they were given something to do, which was often enough to make the less compelling stretches bearable. But it's a heavy drama, which would have had a much more effective balance with some razzle-dazzle, and which would have appealed to more people as a result. Listen, it's called Fosse Verdon. We should have music with Fosse Verdon. Good music, great dance numbers. Tell the story, there was one, I think it was um, episode six or seven, maybe even five, I don't know, where they told the story via a cabaret-esque kind of like shifting back and forth between reality and a performance. And that's Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse says, let's make this performance as real as possible, which made it ridiculous. I needed more ridiculous. I will echo the fact that the performances, the acting, um, of course, Michelle Williams and uh, Sam Rockwell knocked it out of the park. But we do have to say, Norbert Lear Butts did a phenomenal job along with the other supporting cast. We even got to see Lin-Manuel. He did play a certain person that is very familiar. (laughs) Um, And can I just say, piggybacking off of what you said, Yes. in that final episode, everybody, if you make it there, (laughs) (laughs) just watch Michelle Williams do the dance number after being forced by Bob Fosse. Yeah. At the acting. And it's exactly as the ref is saying, it's communicating via musical theater. Hello. Come on. And then the last situation is, it's called Fosse Verdon, not Fosse Verdon's daughter. Okay, moving on. Chernobyl on HBO miniseries. Woo! We both got a chance to see. I saw most of it. I haven't finished it yet. I will be doing that. You finished it. <sighs> Whoa. 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 Mm. And you know, we provided a thorough review of this, so I'm just going to wrap it up. Jared Harris. Oh. Emily Watson. Oh, my goodness. Stellan Skarsgård. Hello. They led an excellent cast. I mean, what a huge cast. Mm-hmm. Excellent cast in this wonder of a miniseries that shined a harsh spotlight on the circumstances surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear power plant disaster. It was a searing indictment on the Soviet cover-up. Yeah. And it paid tribute to the people who sacrificed their lives, all while never forgetting, never forgetting, to tell a compelling story. I mean, just pay attention not only to what is said here, but also to what's not. Mm. That's how you write. Also, Ah. check out how in the final episode, they used animals and even insects, of all things, to tell us something about humanity that goes very deep. And because of that kind of sensitive, thoughtful, and devastating storytelling, Chernobyl is worth every demanding moment that it contains. So I suggest that you watch as much of it as you can for as long as you can until you take a break from it. And you'll know when you need to take a break. Mm. 
and then keep coming back until you finish all five parts. Thank you. Wow. You know, just FYI, because of the miniseries, there's been a huge influx of tourism where Chernobyl was. Mm. Guess who will be in line to go and visit? Not you. I mean, I am <laughs> over there, especially them statistics he was throwing out a hundred years. Uh-uh. Wrong. What? Did these people watch the miniseries? I'm telling you. I mean, there were pictures everywhere. Like, whoa, look, this is where. You know what? Y'all go ahead and have a happy, happy holiday. But wow. I am not doing that. Um, <laughs> no, we're married here. We talked about the wife. Now let's talk about the husband. Oh. Um, movies. Mm. Mm. Wild Rose, you got a chance to see a sneak peek of, and you saw this during the Tribeca Film Festival and went on and on and on and on and on and on, and on about it. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm glad that it's coming out uh, very, very soon. I think you'll be able to see it in your art house, you know, more smaller theaters. It may stretch out to, uh, you know, just give you an alternative from Men in Black and and X-Men and all this other stuff uh, that's out there. This is a movie, an unexpected wonder movie, uh, directed by Tom Harper, written by Nicole Taylor, with a very, maybe not so familiar cast, but you've definitely seen Jessie Buckley before. You have seen her. Chernobyl. Yes, exactly. She was the wife. I, you know what? I wanted to. Ooh, <laughs> I know. I to whip that wig off of her and just slap her with the wig. <laughs> Get out of there! Oh my goodness! Anyway, and you sorry. wait till you see the ending of that. Oh Lord. Mm. Anyway, Wild Rose. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, it will open in New York and LA Friday, June fourteenth, and then it will expand. So hopefully, it comes as the ref is saying near you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Whatever hole you can find. Now look, <laughs> Rosalind Harlan, played by Jesse Buckley, has just been released from jail after a year behind bars. Yeah. I mean, she's a firecracker and a troublemaker. So this should come as no surprise. In addition, she's a mother of two young children. So being the mother that she is, before she goes to see her kids, she goes to see her boyfriend. Oh yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. And then she makes her way to her mom's house to reintroduce herself to those kiddos. And you can imagine how that goes down. Plus her mom, played by Julie Walters, makes it clear to her that it's time for her to start taking care of her kids and herself on a consistent basis. Uh-huh. Even still, Rosalind has other aspirations. Oh yeah. You might be surprised to learn that she's quite the talented country singer. Hmm. But take place in Nashville? Hey, instead of singing at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, as you said, Ref, Mm -hmm. she sings at the Grand Ole Opry in nearby Glasgow in Scotland. What? Yeah, that's where we are. Scotland. Scotland, Glasgow. (laughs) However, as a result of her incarceration, she's no longer welcome as the lead singer at Glasgow's Opry. Mm -hmm. She has to observe a strict curfew after all. So with her cowboy boots covering up her ankle monitor, mm-hmm. Rosalind goes out to find another job. And she winds up as a house cleaner for a wealthy woman named Susanna, who's played by Sophie Okonedo. Oh, I love her. Yeah. And so when Susanna finds out that Rosalind harbors quite the talent for singing country music, 
There's a raw authenticity to her sound. Susanna decides to help Rosalind find her way to the big time at the real Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, USA. Oh my goodness. But just how is this gonna work out? How can Rosalind chase her dreams and raise her kids? And how much does Susanna really know about Rosalind? Plus, what about Rosalind's mama? What's she gonna say in response to all of this? And what will Rosalind learn about owning her baggage and making her dreams a sustainable reality in the end? And here's what I have to say about Wild Rose. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I really did. First of all, director Tom Harper and the rest of his creative team inject a wonderful energy into the composition of Wild Rose's shots, sets, costumes, and edits. They know when to go for it and when to pull back, beautifully mimicking the depth and breadth of country music itself. And in Nicole Taylor's script, all the familiar plot points are there. I mean, we've all seen several movies about a character who has a dream but must overcome all kinds of obstacles, uh, many of which are brought on by themselves to realize it, right? However, I do have to say that the collaboration between Nicole as the writer and Tom as the director works rather well, especially during this film's first half or so. And Tom manages to keep things nimble for most of the film, regardless of the trouble that's bubbling underneath the surface. But during this film's latter parts, the balance wasn't quite as good. Hmm. Of course, there are several obstacles for Rosalind to overcome, no surprise there, but in dealing with them, they lose much of the great momentum that they had during the buildup to the climax and falling action. Even still, they do manage to end things ultimately on the right note for her character. And to be honest, I don't think that most filmgoers will even care about those flaws. Mm. And the biggest reason why is the cast. Now, before I get to Jesse Buckley as Rose Lynn, I'm going to talk about her supporting cast. Oh, come on. First of all, so babe. her two kids before we get to her. Oh, oh, oh. Those two kids were casted perfectly. Mm. You can tell that the actress playing her daughter, full of quiet intelligence, spot on. Her son, quintessential little boy. And then, yes, you get to Sophie Okinado as the woman who fully believes in Rosalind, so much so that she's willing to put her money and connections on the line. And Sophie's freedom and optimism is so well calibrated here, which adds much needed layers to a character who could be seen as underwritten. Sophie is proof that casting can make a big old difference. Love her. And then we come to Julie Walters as Rosalind's mama. Now look, Julie minds the depths of a mother who's tired of picking up the slack for a daughter who's squandering her life and neglecting her responsibilities. The modulations of her character's thoughts and emotions are effortlessly crystal clear, which is all because of Julie's tremendous acting chops. And this leads us right to the heart of this film, Jesse Buckley as Rose Lynn. Mm -hmm. Let me tell y'all something. In this film, Jesse has given a great performance. Uh Uh-oh. Keep in mind that she not only gives a stellar, free and ferocious yet vulnerable acting performance, but also sings the heck out of those songs. Sing it. Even venturing into hints of country rock at times. Mm. Her acting and singing are of one accord, and I think that awards voters must take notice. Also, she even co-wrote one of this film's original songs. And so it's Jesse who ultimately drives this film forward, even when the narrative hits a few snags. And because of her, because of Julie, because of Sophie, and because of the overall spirit of this film, 
I think that Wild Rose deserves to be a hit at the cinemas. It's a dramatic and funny and bittersweet and mostly enjoyable film to watch, so do not miss it. I have a campaign. I really would like to see Jesse play Janis Joplin. I would oh. love to see that. I know someone else's Hmm. the Janice biopic, but I, after hearing this, let's put it out there. Ooh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Move on to another sneak peek that you got to see. Plus one, everybody's nightmare. Um, <laughs> that's what it should be. Plus one colon, everybody's nightmare. Uh, but it's not. It's a romance. It is coming at a theater near you soon this Friday. Jeff Chan and Andrew Weimer wrote it and directed it together. So that's really interesting. Yeah. It stars Maya Erskine and Jack Quaid. I mean, you got Ed, Ed Begley Jr. coming through. Some other folks that'll come through. This is about marriage. This is about surviving marriage, weddings, things of that nature. What happens when you need a plus one? And what happens if that plus one is a particular person? Oh, now Alice, played by Maya Erskine, and Ben, played by Jack Quaid, are friends from college who have a wedding to go to. And it's the wedding of Ben's best friend, so Ben's the best man. Mm. But this is a bummer for both of them, because Ben's losing a friend to marriage, and yeah. Alice just broke up with her boyfriend. And so each experiences quite the awkward outcome at that wedding. Plus just who are they going to date, hmm? Uh-oh. While they don't have any real prospects, they don't want to be left out of all of the marriage fun. I mean, even Ben's father, who's played by Ed Begley Jr., is about to get married again, and he's already gone down that road two times before, much to Ben's chagrin. <laughs> In addition, things aren't looking up for them because they have 10 more weddings to go to that summer. Oh my gosh. Four for Alice and six for Ben. And so to make things easier, Alice suggests that they be each other's plus ones at each wedding. Mm. But at first, Ben rejects that out of hand. However, just what do you think ends up happening? You know what happens. And here's the main question. Will either Alice or Ben find Mr. or Mrs. Wright? After yeah. all, there's something or maybe someone that they might be overlooking. And with that, Plus One provides people who've been annoyed by having to attend wedding after wedding while single, an opportunity to relive those moments from the standpoint of two people who feel the same way. <laughs> and from wedding to wedding, both Alice and Ben talk more than their fair share of trash. Plus from the very beginning of this movie, wedding toasts are center stage, which run the gamut from funny to heartfelt to awkward. And so Plus One is yet another movie about weddings, which leads to this question. Does it add anything new to the genre? Well, I have to say, no, not really. But if you like these sorts of movies, I think that Plus One is just good enough to warrant a watch. I mean, while it's not necessarily as funny as it wants to be all the time, though it does have a few mildly amusing moments, like when Alice's mom makes an appearance, it does have good energy and it keeps things moving. And while you'll definitely know where it's going, it's a rom-com after all. Watching Alice's and Ben's relationship develop is mostly pleasant. Plus, this film has a sweet side that's sincere without being saccharine, which is balanced by bickering, of course, along with moments of awkwardness and hurt feelings. I mean, again, it's a rom-com. In addition, as Alice and Ben, 
Maya and Jack do seem like longtime friends. They have a nice flow that helps to make their characters occasionally foul-mouthed annoyances bearable. And so while Plus One probably doesn't justify spending a lot of money at the movie theater, unless you just love rom-coms or it's a date night or you want to go out and see something that's an easy watch, I'm sure that it'll be just fine as home viewing and that'll be the case when it becomes available, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that takes care of our sneak peeks, but we do want to end with a very important first look. The ref got to see Rocket Man. Rocket Man! Who was that about? Who were we talking about? Elton John? I want love. Okay? Yeah. Now, it's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who had the dubious task of going in to take over for that other movie. I won't even name it. So he's here, (laughs) and this is his baby all the way. And it's written by Lee Hall. It stars Taron Egerton, Yes, as Elton John. We have Jamie Bell in here. Richard Madden is in here. Bryce Dallas Howard, among many, many other people. This is already in theaters, of course. So the question is, Ref, should we see this if we missed it? Should we go back and see it? What do you think? Oh, Lordy. Okay, let's first start with this. Now, at Cannes this year, Rocket Man received a standing ovation. Mm. It was a long one. Everyone clapped and rolled and rampant about it. I went to see it with an open mind, meaning I think this should be um, not compared to its predecessor. And the only reason why I say predecessor is because just last year we had um, we had uh, uh, Freddie Mercury's story set to screen. It got a lot of awards uh, as far as like nominations and things like that. And now we have Elton John taking his turn. Hmm. Mm. We start with a very disturbing image. Maybe not as disturbing as you think, but somewhat. There's a man. He's walking down a hall of some sort. And he has on a costume. And that costume is Satan himself. Mm -hmm. The devil. He's got on horns and big, broad wings, and he's marching right down the hallway. Why? Where is he going? Oh, my Before goodness. Before he even makes a turn, he ends up in the street filled with people from the 1950s. They're dancing and singing, and he's dressed as the devil. <laughs> what is this about? Well, finally, he makes it down this light and emerges into a big room. I'm going to tell you what the room is takes his seat, glorified in all of his red sequins, devilish waves. And he says, hey, hi, I am a sex addict, a drug addict, shopaholic. And he lists off these other unnameable, unmentionable things. And we find out that man is Elton John. (laughs) Well, what a way to start. Now, we find out just how Elton got in that costume, got to the place where he is, and what a journey it is. We meet Elton John, very shy little boy, who has this beautiful, wonderful ear where he can hear anything and he can play anything. And it's pitch perfect. 
He's got the talent, but he doesn't have the family support. His mm. father, in the military, in and out, doesn't pay him two cents of attention. And his mother, who seems to be played by um, Bryce, as you said, she seems to be occupied, shall we say, with other things. Hmm? Mm. Hmm. Not very supportive, but somehow little uh, Reggie, that was his name, gets into a very prestigious music school. Now, what does that do for Reggie? How does that get Reggie anywhere near to his dream of being famous and fabulous? Well, fast forward to Reggie when he is in his late teens. He's just one of those really odd teenagers who has an amazing talent but doesn't quite know what to do with it. So he goes to a record label. I mean, that's what you do back then. Because this Reggie, he was certainly, certainly enthralled by Elton John, or excuse me, Elvis, and enthralled by someone who he took the name of, certain Beatle, shall we say? Mm. <laughs> Elton John. Mm. And the record label head says, you know what, I don't know do this. I'm going to give you some lyrics and you write to these lyrics. So he picks up a pile of paper, shuffles through it all, and from the bottom stack blindly hands Elton his future. And yes, we all know who Elton's writing partner is. Bernie Tupin, Topin. And for then, from then on, everything has changed. They meet up, have a great relationship, and the ground starts running. They start Putting, he starts putting music to, um, to Bernie's beautiful words. Now the question is, what happens when fame comes at you a little fast, a little hard, and in unmeasurable quantities? Well, that is Rocket Man. It is the sex, drugs, rock and roll of a very different kind of rock and roll star. Now, we meet uh, along the way Richard Madden, who plays John Reed, Elton's manager. And you know what happens there. Anytime a young, fresh little something gets a manager who knows what he's doing, you kind of know he's going to be taken advantage of. And does he in every way. Mm -hmm. And you also meet some other folks along the way uh, who help Elton dive deeper into his insane world of rock stardom. Now, that's Rocket Man. It's going to be a crazy wild ride in only the way Elton John can be told. In fact, it was said that Elton said, you know what? Don't try to make this PG because I never let a PG-13 life. Mm. And mm. so they explore those things. If that interests you, if any of that plot interests you, know this. Number one, it is a musical. Nobody's telling you this, they're not advertising that way. They mm. sing. And they don't just sing while they're on the stage, they sing to communicate. <laughs> oh. And yes, it is a full-fledged musical. I am putting that out there so that people aren't surprised because some people were off-put by it, thought it was going to be like another movie that premiered a year before. <laughs> and it's not. Um, and then you not, you're not gonna hear Elton John singing. You are going to hear Taryn actually singing the music. And the music that you know and love is sometimes a little different, but it does help drive the plot. Now, all this to say this, 
the performances. Taryn, we have to start with you. What an amazing performance. Wonderful, both the singing, the dancing, the acting. Top-notch performance from Taryn. I don't know if he's gonna be able to snag that big old statue because just a year before, Rami took it for doing the exact same thing. Right. So it's gonna be a little difficult, but beautiful performance. Excellent, devious, villainous performance by Richard Madden, who plays uh, Elton John's manager and lover. Um, there is, uh, I do have to say, there is a uh, romantic scene, several romantic scenes in this, and it is so coined that no other studio has been able to show these kinds of scenes. Um, mm. And I'll let, I'll just let it leave it out there so that you know. Uh, especially this being June. This may be something you want to support. Um, Jamie Bell, who we know from Billy Elliot. Guess what? I have a very huge tiff about this. He sings, but he doesn't dance. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a big number. Why would you cast Jamie Bell? But anyway, he does a brilliant job acting. Bryce Dallas Howard, mm, a little bit of a caricature, but great effort with that um, accent, along with the other. I will have to say that the director, Dexter Fletcher, threw every bell and whistle at you. <laughs> mm. There are big, huge numbers with big, huge uh, dance sequences, as you would see in any huge English uh, musical. And then there are some beautiful, intimate moments. But I will say, when you get to the troubadour, there is this one scene. I everybody in the room felt it it is i don't know how they did it but when elton taryn sings a certain song everybody gets high and i'll let you figure out what that means when you see it it's not mm. what you think it's brilliantly played but unfortunately it is not well written <laughs> there are a lot of cliches everything you think happens to a rock star does every you know the abuse all, every single cliche ever is in this movie ever i mean ever is in this movie and it is said <laughs> so i do have to knock it for that but for the most part if you love elton john if you love a good musical, if you want to go out and support, it is um, gay, uh, gay Pride Month. Uh, if you just want to go and be fabulous and rock out, or if you just want to see Elton's music put into a plot form, I think this is for you. It also will work at home. I don't think that you will miss a lot if you do see it at home, but if you choose to see it in the theater, just come prepared because the costumes are fabulous. <laughs> and that takes care of it, right, Ref? Well, we're marriage here. <laughs> now, we haven't gotten divorced. Oh, no. We've, we're keeping the movies and TVs together in this episode, everybody. So guess what, though? We'll see if this continues in the future for Why Watch That. But you know what? You know this. We've given you plenty to see uh -huh. on the big screen or the small screen or no screen at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, 
and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.